Today's show is made possible by Fittery. You've probably purchased some dress and casual shirts online before, and sadly, you've probably had to return many of those items because they just didn't fit. Now, you do realize, of course, that billions are spent returning all of these poorly fitting clothes, right? Well, the madness can stop. The hassle of having to return all of this stuff can stop. Well, this is where Fittery comes in. They've devised a process by which you can almost guarantee that the dress and casual shirts you buy online will fit. And from brand names you'll recognize, Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Land's End, Ralph Lauren, to name just a few. And they're adding more brands every day. Now, I myself use Fittery, and setting up my account was very simple and took almost zero time. Just go to fittery.com intrepid, complete the quick size tool, and you'll soon be ordering dress and casual shirts that actually fit. Again, that's fittery.com intrepid. You'll love Fittery, and you'll actually enjoy and look forward to ordering clothes online again. Let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things the ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to the show. This is Intrepid Media. I am your host, Todd Schneck. Today, we're going to talk about corporate anthropology. And as my guest will shed some light on in a few minutes, uh, we're going to have a, this will give you a fresh lens with which to look at your business. So this is going to be a very, very important conversation. I'm joined this morning by Dr. Andrea Simon. She's a corporate anthropologist with Simon Associates Management Consultants. Andy, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Todd. Thank you. Well, the pleasure is mine. I appreciate you giving me some very valuable time. I know you're awfully busy. you got a big book coming out in a few months, so uh, appreciate you stopping by. Uh, Andy, before we get into our conversation around corporate anthropology, I would love for you to take a few quick seconds, tell the audience a bit about you and your background, and then give us a quick overview of Simon Associates, kind of what you do and how you serve your market. Certainly. So my background, I am an anthropologist by training. I was a professor for a decade. And after I got my tenure, most of my research was on how people adapt to changing times. And by chance, I was introduced to banking at Citibank during the period of deregulation. And they hired me as a consultant to come help them change. And I must tell you, I was humbled. You know, studying how people adapt is one thing. Actually helping them adapt to new business environments proved very challenging. And I learned early how people 
say the things they need to do, but then go back to the habits that drive them. So I stayed in banking, and I was an executive at a savings bank and an executive at a commercial bank. And I spent 15 years with banking, helping them go through the great transformation. And then when things became commoditized, I got into healthcare. And I was an executive at Montefiore Medical Center and at St. Joseph's Regional Medical Center, helping them go through first managed care and then the prelude to the health care reforms that are taking place now. And then after 9-11, I launched my business as a corporate anthropologist to help companies change. And I will tell you, I never stopped being an anthropologist during my period as an executive, but nobody quite knew what an anthropologist did, so I became uh, an executive. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I knew was that the methods and theory and tools of anthropology gave us perspectives that others could use but didn't have. And so part of my mission in going into business was to, to take how we see things and enable others to do as well. And so it became part mission and part business strategy, and I've been actually quite thrilled at how it has developed. What we do at Simon Associates is to help companies see, feel, and think in new ways. And it doesn't matter. I've had Mark Paper as a client, Centenary College as a client. I've had manufacturers of plumbing supplies and major engineering firms. Some are billion-dollar companies and some are startups. The trick is how can you step outside and look at what's going on? And I often like the quote that the way forward is all around you, you just can't see it. And so we do four things. First, we help them understand um, what to see that's happening that could give them new opportunities. I'm a blue ocean strategist. I've been trained and I've done about 250 workshops and I speak widely, and I'm a keynote speaker on it. And once you become a blue ocean strategist, you no longer go back to old red ocean methods, and you watch people open up new market space and find unmet needs and non-users. So blue ocean is a major part of what we do. Uh, And the second thing that comes along with that is culture change. In 2014, culture was the most researched word in in the Webster Dictionary, and everybody is looking at culture now, that cultures are changing, and we have a process developed out of the University of Michigan, and I'm a consultant with a group in the Netherlands, and we help companies uh, assess their culture today and figure out how to change it. And as I work with companies on this, you realize that they think they have to change it, but they don't know what they're changing it to, and uh, there's a lot of process involved, and culture is a core part of humans. That's how we get things done. We have a strong culture. And then what came out of that is a lot of innovation and innovation games. We went to Brussels and became trained facilitators and trainers, and that's a whole process for creativity that we needed to help companies actually do what we were trying to work with them on, which is to change. And coming out of all of that was a whole new division that we formed several years ago on inbound marketing, because as companies found new markets, we had to create demand and we had to capture demand. And inbound marketing, we're HubSpot partners, and we have a whole team of people who are certified in this area to help create and capture the demand that's there. So our company is robust, and um, we've been doing extremely well, and we're uh, enjoying applying anthropology to businesses that need or want to change. And I'll be honest, it's quite ubiquitous today. It's just everyone is trying to figure out how to adapt to these new business environments. Does that help you? It does. I appreciate you going through all that. Uh, said more shortly, she's obviously very qualified to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So, so Andy, if you go to Google 
Or you go to Amazon and search for change management books and how to, our business needs to move from A to B. And I don't know how to do it. I need help. There are, are endless amounts of change management strategists and consultants out there. Most of them, I think, are very traditional in the way most of us would think of how a, a change management consultant would come in and begin to, to attempt to affect change. You have a different look at it. You have a different lens through which you do that through this, this, uh, this background in anthropology. What's, what's, what's so different by your approach, by what the traditional change specialist is, is trying to apply? Well, it's interesting because people say, I need a change manager, and I say, no, you need to see, feel, and think about what you're doing in a new way. If not, you're going to be incremental in what you're trying to do. So going back to anthropology, we step out and observe, or we go inside and we participate, but our job is to help the people there begin to see things in new ways. The challenge, whether it's change management or, or my own approach, is that you have a very well-honed set of habits. Your brain hates to change. And in order for you to actually begin to transform what you're doing, you need to see it with completely fresh eyes. And, and the interesting part is that a change manager who's going in and trying to push something along incrementally or adapt it doesn't realize that what has to happen is that people need completely new roles and a new way of actually thinking about their business every day and doing it. So what we do is we take people outside to look at it as if they were anthropologists. We can tell you to go hire some anthropologists, but by and large, we don't like you to outsource your eyes. And so we take you out and make you observers of exactly what's going on inside from the outside in. And we have you mystery shop your own business. We have you spend time. I love Undercover Boss because it's so anthropological. You put on the clothes and you go work in the, in the same factory or as 1-800-FD-Flowers did, go in and actually pack the boxes. And slowly but surely, you begin to see what's actually going on there, the go-arounds that people are doing. Now, from our perspective, when we're starting to do a change project, we never go inside to manage it. Our job is to help you transform the way you're doing it. And unless you see it, we can work hard but go nowhere. And each of the stories in my book, On the Brink, are about clients of ours where we did just this. We helped them step out and look at it with fresh eyes and actually do some of the things that we might do as participant observers, doing culture probes, listening to the stories people were telling. And next thing you know, they have their own aha moments. And, and, and I, can't, I can't create the aha moment, but when you see it, all of a sudden it moves you forward. And so it's a real interesting process of transformation. And while we're often brought in on retainer to help execute on the changes, we believe very strongly that our clients have to begin to see it and feel it. Remember, we buy with emotion and justify it with reason. So I can give you a bunch of facts about why you should do it differently, but by and large, unless you see it and feel it, you don't know what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So, so in other words, we all have the ability to do this effectively. We just have to open our eyes. And, and at, you've said something that I like. It's turn observation into innovation. And that's a, that's a really interesting way to think about it. That why are we so bad at change? I mean, I think the general human race is just, for the most part, bad at change. We don't like it. It scares us. We think it's hard. We uh, think it's going to be too time-consuming. And it impacts us not just at the business. Uh, it impacts us in every realm of life, from relationships to 
changing your physical habits to lose weight or or get in better shape. I mean, we're just so afraid of change. And obviously, when you observe history, I think the people who we now read about and watch films about are the ones who embrace change and were able to do it. Why are we so bad at it? What's one or two quick hacks that the typical person out there, I think I know your answer is going to be, can become <laughs> can, can embrace change? You must have read the article yesterday about the greatest losers who found themselves <laughs> regaining all their weight. <laughs> uh, and what is it, 47% of the people who have heart attacks don't change any of their behaviors. But you're, you're spot on. But uh, uh, from an anthropological perspective, remember we're the only species born half-cooked. We come out, we can't talk, we can't walk, we don't know how to speak. And for the first 30 years, our, uh, the, our surroundings, our parents, our culture, our friends begin to build who we are. And then slowly we get a brain that has a wonderful pattern to it, and it's very efficient, and it doesn't like to change. It can, and you can do all sorts of things to help it. But once it's got that mind map, it sorts reality to conform to it. The habits become very comfortable and efficient. And so to answer your question, long story, short story, is that the humans are really good at being very effective within a stable environment, and we go about our habits every day in a very consistent and efficient fashion. When you now have to learn something new, the brain works very hard, and it says to you, this hurts, please stop, and you need to push past that. One of the things that, so I often make the analogy, you're dropped in a foreign country, you can't speak the language, you don't know how to get around, and somehow you're going to survive there. When I was doing my research on immigrants, that's just what we saw. Somehow they had to reinvent themselves. It's hard work. The brain is very angry at it, and it's miserly, it pushes it away. But I use theater often, and I think you'd appreciate the metaphor, because you really know Macbeth quite well now. That's your habit. And nobody's coming to the play. So somehow you have to write a new script. You're going to be Hamlet now. So Macbeth is gone, and tomorrow you're Hamlet. But you don't know how to play the role. There's no director showing you where to stand on the stage. You don't know how to interact with people. And so there's a new performance coming that somebody better help you rehearse a lot. So slowly you become very good at the new, and you could still play the old if you had to, but you've got to break the habits and move it into a new fashion. It's sort of like my golf swing. I need a lot of coaching. But by and large, when companies are changing or people are changing themselves, they don't have a lot of coaching or rehearsal time and not a lot of applause to know that the new is better than the old. And that applause should not be underestimated. People need mentors and coaches and reinforcement and a mirror that says, hey, this is better than it was. Can't you see it? So does that answer your question, sir? It absolutely does. And, th- and that metaphor is so profound because as, as I record this uh, from a high rise in Chicago, I'm looking at 11 high rises that are full of corporate organizations. And, and I, th- I don't hear applause coming from any of them. I think that is such a, 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 a as you said, an overlooked element to businesses, that feedback uh, that most people are not getting. And they don't know if, if they're on the right path or not. So that's so important. All right. Dr. Andrea Simon and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international bestselling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism. 
because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpeetler.com. I am back with Dr. Andrea Simon, the corporate anthropologist with Simon Associates Management Consultants. So, Andy, you talked about one way that we could become more observant and that we need more observant eyes. Any other strategies that that someone listening can say here? I mean, you talked about how you could kind of go into a business, the undercover boss strategy, but are there other things we could do to become more observant? Absolutely, and I outline 10 of those in my book, On the Brink, because um, simple things, and I'll go from the simple to more complicated, I often have CEOs who become our clients sit on the telephone at the customer service desk. And I had one client who grew his business 40% by listening to all the calls that were coming through that people on his service desk said, oh, no, we don't do that. And it was very interesting because he's a chapter in my book and he's a a fan because it was very simple. The calls were coming, but it wasn't his core business and he discounted it. And his service people said, well, we don't do that because you told me we don't do that. And he said, but why did I tell you we don't do that? And they said, I don't know why. But slowly the the calls are coming through. I had another client and and I say these because they're simple and, and you can call them business intelligence, but they're perfect anthropology about taking a look at what's happening in a fresh way and capturing the the inbound, not discounting it. He was looking at markets in the U.S. where he didn't sell his product, and he said, oh, they don't need it. And I did an analysis of all the emails that were coming through and the phone calls, and they were all coming through from parts of the country that he didn't sell in. And the conversation was a fascinating one because I said, look at these. And he said, well, they don't need me. I said, but they're all asking for you. He said, well, why are they asking for me? I said, why don't we find out? Let's go exploring, which we did, only to find out that they really did need him, but he had no distribution based on his mind map that said, discounting them, they don't need me. And once you put that, that axe in the ground, you run away from the very stuff that's coming inside. The third thing that, and, and I say these because they're simple, Often I take my clients out to their clients, but we go and do culture probes or storytelling among other people in the business. So I have a battery company, EAC, and, and Mark and I took it, went out to his clients, and we went not to engineering. They made batteries. We went to, not to engineering and not to R&D or to purchasing. We went to the C-suite. We went to marketing. We spent time on the factory floor. And together we began to hear what they really mattered for them. And they said to Mark, you know, it's really nice you build great batteries, but we want to know about lighter, longer, stronger power solutions. Now I must tell you, it took a bunch of visits before it just clicked. And he said, oh, my God, they're looking to me to reinvent the industry, and I think I build batteries. And the aha moments that came out of our exploring together were profound because they were saying it to him, but he couldn't hear it. And then I always like them to begin to spend time with consumers. We do a lot of work in healthcare. We play innovation games. And all of a sudden, our clients are beginning to realize that the games allow them to listen to customers or patients uh, in new ways. 
And we do a lot of work with one client in the Northeast, and we're working on all their primary care and urgent care centers. But the data they look at is not similar to the experiences we see. And so we take them with us to sit in the lobbies of their urgent care centers and watch what people are actually doing. And then we look at the data, and we speak widely on a topic that I love, which is you have abundant data. Your data is talking to you. Can you hear it? And we do the soft data, hard data, and lookalikes because the hard data may tell you some things, but the soft data is putting flesh on it. And you actually watch what's going on, and you begin to realize the challenges that people within your own business are facing that they can't tell you about. Because most people will not tell you what the problems are. They'll just go about fixing them somehow. So those are a multiple of ways to do it. I can add more, but, but they are arranged from the very simple, sit on the phone and listen to who's calling. One, one client actually set up a person to handle all the we don't do calls. And I thought that was a simple and very profound <laughs> solution to make sure they can begin to get ahead a of what's going on. Oh, and my last thing is look at trends. I think that the trends become extremely powerful. People are paying little attention. It's like somebody else. And I always tell them that the way forward is all around them. It's the trends that are coming. If only you see them and begin to adapt to them or lead them, you can see very big opportunities opening up for you, and they're telling you, but you're not hearing them. Does that help you? It does. Uh, two profound uh, thoughts out of that uh, that answer. One is the idea of, of of finding out what people are asking for that you say, oh, we don't do that because that's what the market wants and that's that can afford a path forward to, to, to begin to change. The other thing that you said, I thought I just chuckled when he said it, is when uh, the, the management uh, said, well, why, why don't they, why aren't they doing that? And your answer was, well, let's go find out. I think there's so many management meetings going on where they're asking these questions. Well, why are we doing this? Why is this happening? Why isn't that happening? And someone's not t t tapping on the shoulder to say, well, why don't you go find out? That They're just not doing that. They're sitting there wondering, trying to come up with an answer without actually going in and with open eyes and trying to figure out what's actually happening and why. It's, so that's so interesting. You keep mentioning innovation games. And that, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about what you actually mean by that. Sure. Innovation games were pulled together and... Uh, organized in a book that was written by Luke Homan out in uh, Mountain Valley, California, and we work closely with Luke. Um, the games were introduced to me by actually a guy out of General Motors who was doing prune the product tree and reverse, remember the future, and build a better product box with the GM factories. And I said, what are those? And um, it was on a flight, and, and he said, let me tell you about why you should use them. And I met Luke, and he said, you should get trained. So my husband and I went to Brussels five years ago and became certified. The games are based on the brain. The more ideas you have, the more likely you will have good ones. But you just don't know which ones they are. And what we've done is use serious play or games as a way to get people to free themselves up from those mind maps that are restricting them or the habits and what they think we ought to do. And when we begin to play games, you watch their minds sort of soften. It's a game, so don't work too hard. And the games are organized around a process. I guess we've done about 75 client engagements around these uh, over the last mm, four and a half, five years, because they allow us to get clients engaged in collaborative efforts of creativity. So the process goes from a discovery. There are a bunch of discovery games. I like reverse everything, but there are others as well. And then we go into emerging when the things begin to pull together. 
and then we prune the product tree. And you can hear the speedboat is a great one. And they are taking business behaviors, putting them into a game format that people relax and play with. And all of a sudden, abundant ideas emerge. And it's good for the back, the front end of innovation where you're trying to create ideas and the back of it, end of innovation where you're trying to implement them. We've done it and published on this with people who are inheriting great deals of money to help financial services. Folks realize that what they think and what people think aren't exactly aligned. Done a tremendous amount in healthcare, both inside hospitals where we do it with their employees and outside with patients and patients of competitors to better understand the gaps. We've done it with seniors, and we've done it with bariatric patients. We've done it in engineering firms. It doesn't much matter. It's pretty agnostic. The power of games, though, is when people move into game mode, they relax and let their brains open up. And the process yet gets them through a process so it doesn't look like it's standalone and not leading somewhere. And it works, and we have a great deal of fun with it. So I often say, okay, let's play a game, and all of a sudden you watch their faces change. Okay, we'll play a game, and they love to play games. Mm. Adults love to play games. Well, it's funny. Uh, when you're in elementary school, you have all the skill sets you need to be innovative. We just somehow, our society and culture and, and deeper education just beats it out of our head. I mean, we all need playtime. I mean, that, we need recess. We need, we need time to just kind of let go. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny how you say it when you say, well, let's play a game, how the attitude and the mindset shifts almost instantly. And, and why, why our business culture is, is so anti, quote, games and, and quote, playtime. I just it, this, I, I, I'm mystified by it. So it's fascinating how your observation of that is, is uh, uh, how that's how that changes everything and, and improves creativity and innovation. Fascinating stuff. We're running low on time. You have referenced uh, your your upcoming book several times, so I do want to give you a chance to formally discuss it and talk about it. It is called "On the Brink: A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights." So uh, why why did you have to put this book out in the world? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. You know, doing this work with uh, companies, I began to realize that others could really benefit from learning both how to do it and why they should. And so the book is in really two parts. There are seven case studies that are companies not very necessarily well-known, but they all were on the brink, and they brought us in because they had tried this. They had hired a new sales manager. They were changing the way they did things, and nothing seemed to be working. And by bringing in anthropological methods, all of a sudden they stood outside and looked in with fresh eyes and all of a sudden saw opportunities. So each of the case studies is somebody who was on the brink. They could have gone down, but instead they soared. And they are so exciting to read about because they could be any of us, whether it's an entrepreneur with a startup or a billion-dollar business that stalled. And remember, 85% of the Fortune 500 companies have stalled at some point. So the question is, if you're on the brink, is there a method for getting you past there? And the first part of the book is about how anthropology can help corporations, corporate anthropology, better see, feel, and think in new ways about their business. And when put together, it gives them not quite a how-to, but the beginning of embedding these methods into their own approach. And so all of a sudden, how we do things here has a, a bit of anthropology tied into it, and it isn't an afterthought. It becomes, let's, let's, let's try to see ourselves with fresh eyes. And so that's why the book is On the Brink of Fresh Lands to Take Your Business to New Heights. is how corporate anthropology can help your business grow. So it's not just for the CEO of a large corporate enterprise, right? I mean, it sounds like this, uh, this could benefit even someone leading a small team. 
Absolutely. It's designed for that. It's for all the folks in all those mid-market companies, but it's also good for those in very large companies. And, and it doesn't matter, to your point, it, it's good for both. And, and I want to encourage people in all uh, phases to begin to see their business in new ways. And, and, and in today's world, the adaption to change is very important. Mm. Andy, I'm looking at my notes here, and I have still about 500 questions I need to ask you. But unfortunately, we're out of time. Me thinks we'll have to maybe get you back on the show to continue this critically important conversation. Uh, but for now, before I let you go, how can, a couple of things, how can people contact you should they have any questions? Where can they learn more about Simon Associates Management Consultants? And most importantly, where will they be able to get their hands on a copy of On the Brink? You're very kind. So andysimon.com, A-N-D-I-S-I-M-O-N.com, is all about the book. Simon Associates Management Consultants can be Googled or simonassociates.net. And then at Simon Andy, uh, my Twitter is very busy and lots of conversations going on there. But it's a, a great time for us to engage. And if you buy more than a, three or four books, I throw in a great deal of free stuff. And I'd love to be able to do a seminar for you. So andysimon.com is where you should go wandering. All right. Dr. Andrea Simon, corporate anthropologist and the author of the upcoming book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights. Andy, it was a real pleasure to have you. I, a criminal that we didn't have uh, more time. But uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Dr. Andrea Simon, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. <laughs>